When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. It's 2015, and you're certainly starting off the new year right. Welcome to another episode of Awesome Etiquette, which is psyched to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning from the Emily Post Institute. Wow. So the holidays are over. New Year's has come and gone. Exhale. I know, right? Like <laughs> The days are getting longer. Yeah. Life is good. <laughs> <laughs> And good oh, morning to I'm you. Glad you think so, Dan. Since the last time that we got to be with our listeners, you have had something exciting happen. Why don't you tell them what you did just before Christmas? I sure did. I did my first national TV. I had a very brief appearance on the Today Show. But um, when you get started in the the author business, that's the the biggest get. And I'm the last of my generation to crack that <laughs> particular nut. My two cousins, Anna and co-host Lizzie, are are much more experienced. In this realm than I am, so it they sent that me we're off. Girls. I hate to say it, but when you're in the world of etiquette, they want women for some reason. It's a very maternal. It is. It's like a, a, a maternal thing. Your mom taught you your manners, even though a lot of dads do a lot of that work. Abs- absolutely. I mean, we've even had some salutes about gentlemen before. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, too, because yeah. the particular show that I was on was hosted entirely by women. All oh, of the men were absent was. that week. And <laughs> it was it was um, but it was so much fun. It really was. And it was all things I'd heard about. I'd heard you and Anna talking about your green room experiences and uh, good Those and bad mild experiences <laughs> like, for anyone who's listening <laughs> um, but it, it was fun. It was fun to join the rest of the team in that. Nice. Yeah. Well, congratulations. And I'm sure you can still catch Dan's appearance on the Today Show if you go to today.com. Um, so what else is going on? It's a new year. This is the part where I always look at it. I'm, in about October, really September and October, I go through this like depression it's... where I'm getting huh. ready for winter and I'm bummed. And it's not that I don't like winter. I don't love the cold. But It's just going to be a long haul. It's going to be a long haul. And the holidays really get me through the first solid two months of that. I know that. just what you mean. Yeah. Now we're in that place where it's just like, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> when's May? Because in Vermont, like real spring is Four, not. Four five months away yeah, still. It's, it's not something that comes that quickly. So it's. It's, Although we're looking at a long road, man. It's been a minute since we've done an update, and I'll tell you that I'm looking at the calendar like a ticking clock oh my gosh, these that's days. Right. See, your life, your 2015 is totally different from my 2015. Oof, it's going to come fast. the The wedding date is set for late spring, early summer. Um, the announcements are the save the dates haven't gone out yet, so I'm just going to hold on the the specifics. But we're we're deep in it. We're up to our eyeballs and in invitation choices and wedding guest lists and has Pooj picked a dress? It's getting hot and heavy. No, but we've got our our trip down to New York to visit our cousins and do that. Particularly 
particular shopping this is schedules. The big question. Are you going to ride an elephant? No, there will not be an elephant, I think. <laughs> but there will be a no, baroth. There, be there will be an arrival of the groom's family at the bride's home. Okay. And um, yeah, de- details forthcoming and uh, keep an eye on it because you will be part of that particular entourage. <laughs> hey, man, any excuse to wear a sari? I'm like down. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, let's get to some of your questions. You're right. There's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn, but it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. On each and every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. We're so grateful that you write in questions, but we have quite a lot of questions to get through. I'm excited. Me too. (laughs) This question begins, Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My question for your podcast is about quiet hours for text messaging. Do you think there are hours when it is inappropriate to send a text message to someone? Or is it the responsibility of the recipient to turn their phone off when asleep? Personally, I use the 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. rule as if I was calling someone on the telephone. But I have friends who will text at all hours. Unfortunately for me, I must leave my cell phone on for business emergencies. Should I be rankled when friends text at midnight? How should I politely remind them that email may be a better form for non-urgent communications? This is also complicated by time zones when either I'm traveling or friends and colleagues may be up at all hours around the world. Thanks, Troy. Well, that is, it's kind of a new age conundrum. Troy's question is definitely super valid. And I like the fact that we're dealing with it in the context of texting and not in the context of actual phone calls. The nine to nine rule is an absolute classic. It's it's one that I certainly grew up on. Um, but when it comes to text messaging, it's one little buzz. People think it's not going to be obnoxious. I know that I have friends that text me at seven o'clock in the morning. And if it's a day where I can sleep into eight, I am ticked off that my phone has gone off before my alarm. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do think that there is a little bit of the nine to nine going on. However, it's it depends on your friends. I mean, I would definitely ask people who have a tendency to text me that early to say, hey, could you wait until nine? The other thing that you can do, at least I know if you are an iPhone user, is that the iPhone has the capability to do what they call do not disturb. Now, you can do not disturb somebody. Um, you kind of you, you, you click the little button and, and the setting goes on and you can do it individually. For one person. So if I know, for instance, that Dan brilliant. always texts <laughs> me <brilliant>. at like <laughs> 11 o'clock on a work night, I can just shut Dan off and that's it. So if I'm worried that my mom who's sick in the hospital or, you know, um, my sister who I know often does have an emergency or something needs needs to get in touch, those numbers will still come through. But sometimes your annoying friend who's always texting way too early or way too late, you can shut them off. You can silence just one. My question, could you allow just one person? Could you choose your boss, your mother? I'm fairly certain that the setup works that you could take your favorites list Mm -hmm. and make sure that they could get through. So maybe the night before you just adjust your favorites list to the people who are real true emergency. Yes, I will wake up in the middle of the night to come and help you do whatever it is that you need. Um, People... And and keep them on because it's like it it does have different settings. So look into it and definitely um, you there are times when you can't get around this if you have to have your phone on for emergencies. Um, 
but mm-hmm. do or what if you, you use it for an alarm. It's going to be by your bed and on. Yeah. And do what you can to talk with people and let them know you're not someone to text or to call that late or that early. Um, that's certainly something I've done. Like I've let my friends who have to be in at work at 8 a.m. know that I sleep later than they do. And I'm very sorry, but I'd really appreciate if you just wait until like business hours to text me. So you're really taking some responsibility as someone who likes to have that phone near you. Yeah, well, has to. I mean, it's the only phone I have. If something does go wrong or if, you know, I don't I don't know. There's we woke up this morning to a couple inches of snow. If we wake up to a couple feet of snow, you know, maybe the office is closed. It's nice to know those things. But um, you don't always want to be waking up for them. So I do suggest talk to your friends who are really bad about it, but also search around for a device that has some kind of a silencing or do not disturb feature. And good luck, Troy. I hope you get better sleep. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. So this is a real classic question right after the holidays, and um, I, I tend to, we've we've answered it before, but mm-hmm. we're going after it again because it's it's very you know poignant time of year to be talking about it. This letter comes from Grandma. How do you handle this problem when you send kid and grandkids gifts of money on birthdays and Christmas, etc., and you've never received a thank you call or text? Sincerely frustrated grandma. I just want to say before Dan answers this question, I love that grandma's not even asking for a thank you note. She's asking for a call or a text. Thank you, grandma, for reminding us and for taking that bold step forward into the 21st century, being ready to, to receive a text from your grandkids. Although these days that's, that is becoming more and more common. I'm hearing from more and more people that that would be a level of acknowledgement and acceptance that they would 
Exactly. They would receive well and appreciate. Yeah. And they're recognizing that's the, the communication currency these days. And while it's not as personal as a handwritten note, it, it does feel like a very personal form of communication to a lot of people. So definitely keep that in your list of options as you think about good ways to get in touch and thank people in this new year. This at least allows them to know the darn gift was received. Well, and as Lizzie alluded, this is a such a classic etiquette question. It's one of the examples I use to illustrate how some etiquette really doesn't change, that my great-great-grandmother used to get questions about grandkids that don't send thank you notes, and my grandmother did, and my mother did, and here we're getting them today on the podcast. So thank you for keeping that strong (laughs) tradition alive also. So then the question really becomes, what are you going to do about it if you find yourself in this situation where you've sent a gift and you haven't heard from anybody? You know, this is one of those times where it's really perfectly appropriate to call and ask. And It might even be the time for one of those classic when you I feel statements. It's time to be really direct. Um, These are your kids. So it's okay. It's not like they're other people's kids. It's not like it's your boss or something. And and Lizzie's reminded me in the past, if your mother sent you a gift and then you just she heard nothing from you. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, because she's saying (laughs) call or text. So we're talking (laughs) nothing here that she would want to know. And she would probably feel pretty comfortable saying, you know, Dan, I really want to hear (laughs) that something's been received. It really matters to me that you get some kind of thank you um, out to me. And it could be a text. It could be a call. It could be a handwritten note. That would be amazing. It would make me feel so good. But really, it's important to me that I I get that thanks or appreciation. That's part of the gift. And Um, I'm going to say, Grandma, if you have to go further, you can say, I'm not going to send any more gifts until I do receive a thank you for the last gifts I sent. It's true. It's true. It's, it's like You ask any seven-year-old what to do if someone hasn't thanked you for a gift. They say, don't send them another one. It's like classic. Like, seven-year-olds stupid, are ruthless. Simple, like, they are ruthless. <laughs> and, and they're, and they're, but their logic is also very concrete. They say, if you don't get that thank you note, you don't send the next gift. I'm going to be a little more lenient and say, give them another shot. Send them another one once you've reestablished the standard. Give them a chance to do it right. But, um, but definitely let them know how you feel yeah. because you want, that, you want to set them up for success and you want to let them know how much it matters. However, I like the language that Dan used to talk about how you feel because what other people tend to do is they'll tend to to try to get into some long lecture. You should. Like, (laughs) you should. This is important. It gives your kids a chance to practice handwriting. You're like, okay, you do not need to throw every reason at the book. The reason that Dan stated, it matters to me, is the only one you need as the matriarch of this family. So there you go. A classic answer to a classic question. We really hope that helps and get those thank you notes in the mail. Ooh, and as an aside, you could always send them thank you notes as their next Christmas and birthday gifts. That way they have them ready to send to you. Might be that subtle passive aggressive (laughs) hint. (laughs) Anyway, good luck with the birthdays and Christmases next year. Our next question comes from a listener who says, I'm totally smitten with your post. I got turned on to it last week and binge listened to the rest immediately. (laughs) Can't wait for more. Love that. Thank you. (laughs) My question is about an annoying coworker. He sits right across from me and talks constantly. We'll all be working and then he'll bring up a random story or comment, usually about something from a week before. He means well and I don't want to be rude, but it's incredibly distracting and frustrating. Not engaging with him doesn't work. He kind of just keeps going. The problem is I don't want to say that I can't talk during the day because I don't want to not talk to anyone. (laughs) I just generally find him annoying and incapable of taking social cues. Please advise. Keep up the great work. Anonymous. Oh, Anonymous, I feel your pain. It's and, And also this is this is the thing that I kind of hate about our society today 
is that we're in a place where it feels like you're not allowed. Like when she, when he or she says, um, I don't want to say that I can't talk to her today because I don't want to not talk to anyone. That is so frustrating to me because she should be able to say, I don't want to talk right now. I have to work. And obviously in a nicer way than what I just said. But um, and still be able to go have a break at the, you know, at the the kitchen or wherever. I mean, you and I take our breaks Mm -hmm. in the kitchen. So that's what I'm thinking of. But and not feel like that's all of a sudden bad or taboo or off limits. Exactly. Like I hate that sort of all or nothing black and white. Oh, well, you did it here, but you didn't do it there type thing. It's like, you know what? Life's a little messier than that. Anyway, this is a really tough one. And um, like you said, it's, it's clear that you do, that that you understand he means well, your coworker who's, who's gabbing too much. Um, I think personally that you have, two options. Either A, you can talk directly to him, say something like, you know, Ryan, could I ask you for something, please? I've been having trouble concentrating when you start to tell a story or start up a conversation while we're working. Do you think that we could save it for our breaks? Perfectly acceptable. There's nothing wrong with it. You're probably never going to get rid of the fact that you have to interact with this person. And you should pay a little bit of attention to them throughout the day because you work so closely together. But also at the same time, if it's interfering with your work, that's a problem and you do have to speak up about it. So feel confident in having that conversation. The other way that you could handle this is sort of like in the moment requests, um, which is kind of like I love that negative language. reinforcement. <laughs> a little bit. It's a little bit like like <laughs> negative reinforcement. So in this case, when he starts telling a story, then you say, hey, Ryan, can we talk about that later? I really got to concentrate right now. And then the next time he starts up, hey, Ryan, I really got to focus on this at the moment. Find about three or four different ways to say it. And And then cycle through them and then say, hey, I'd love to hear that story you wanted to tell me. Let's go grab a cup of coffee and just once in a while invite him to tell the story. I think that's brilliant. You're maintaining the relationship with the coworker Mm -hmm. and you're also you're being consistent and you're really addressing it in the moment. And you're going to have coworkers that are difficult. I I love that idea of an in the moment request. I think that's brilliant. Well, because you you do. Sometimes it's better to take someone aside and talk about something that's an overarching problem. But it doesn't always mean that they're actually going to stop doing it. So by doing it in the moment and doing it gently, I'm not saying tell them to shut up. You never want to do that. But you do you you are going to need to repeat this over and over until he gets out of his system the idea that it's okay to just be talking over the cubicle wall at someone without their buy-in. And and this is a social skill and a work skill. Yes. Because it's true. You need to be able to focus on your work. You and do. it's an important it's part of being for. a professional that you establish those boundaries. And whether you establish them immediately in the moment or you have to escalate it and talk more broadly about boundaries at work, um, it's, it's, it's definitely something you don't need to feel bad about. No. Either way, feel confident, step up, and hopefully you'll be able to get more done in this new year. <laughs> Good luck. Our next listener has a wedding question, so I'm going to be tossing it to Daniel since he's going to be getting his wedding (laughs) on this year. All right. Even though you're the wedding expert. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) I've attended a few. All right. Love your show. Daniel, congrats on your engagement. I'm engaged, too, and have a question for you two regarding wedding etiquette. My fiancé and I got an engagement gift from a family we were not 
planning on inviting to our wedding, wondering if we are now obligated to invite them, given that they were so excited for us that they got us something special right away. It's not that we're having a small wedding. We're not. Nor that we don't love them. We do. But we have to draw the line somewhere. Is this something that calls for stretching that line and including them on our wedding day? Thank you, Anonymous. Well, Anonymous, thank you for your congratulations and congratulations to you also. I should say best wishes. Oh, on that's your so tacky. Wedding. That's old. Okay, wait. We're going to take half Let's a second to break out this. All right. So the old tradition is that you say best wishes to the bride and you say congratulations to the groom. Now, I am like the least feministy girl in the world, but like I literally hate that because it's like saying oh good luck to you with him honey like best wishes you know i really didn't know that hold on wait a second i'm still going and then congratulations it's like hey man you got her way to go it's like just say congratulations to everybody it's not and the 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 reason for it used to be that it used to be considered rude to say congratulations to a woman because it was like saying hey you bagged a good one but i think it could be equally as rude if you say congratulations to a dude I mean I don't know Maybe I, I knew that was the silly. origin of why you didn't say it I didn't know it was okay to say it to a man traditionally also that's that's that's, that's new info congratulations to a man yeah that, that was that was acceptable yeah no oh so you thought it was best wishes to everybody, everybody. see <clears throat> I think that sounds really nice but it's when they break it apart and say best wishes to the bride and congratulations to the groom that I'm like that sound like what Thank you, wedding expert. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, touche. All right, let's get to the questions. Sorry. So So what should she do? Let's take the questions in order. First, are you obligated to invite these people? No, you're not obligated. They, someone cannot force their way into your wedding by hearing about it and sending a gift that's a preemptive engagement gift. I love um, that. Like, I like how you just took it to strategy. Sorry. Okay, keep going. Um. Having said that, wedding guest lists are incredibly personal decisions. They're based on budget and all kinds of factors, and you're not ever expected to invite anybody or to explain your reasonings to anybody why they weren't invited. Having said that, <laughs> this is one of those situations where I would really look at that guest list and say, is is this in the border territory where we might or might not invite them, and could we stretch that border just a little bit? It, it clearly does show some real care on their part. They really are invested in, in, in this new couple enough that they I really want to share their excitement with you. And those might be the kinds of people you want to have at your wedding when you, when you stop to think about it. It's a pretty special thing. Right. <laughs> and um, the, the one little caveat that I would add to that answer is if they received um, an invitation to an engagement party or came to an engagement party, then oh, they're absolutely, absolutely. Ob- you're absolutely obligated to invite them to the wedding. It doesn't sound like that's the case here. It sounds like they just heard about the engagement. And sent a gift. So you've got a little more latitude here, but... But um, but this is one of those cases where there might be some real rewards to be reaped by stretching a little bit and thinking about including these folks if it's possible. Well, and remember, too, that you don't know that they're going to be able to say yes. And you also don't know who else is going to say no. And about 10 percent of your list really does wind up not being able to attend the wedding. Mm -hmm. So they you know, you might actually have room for these folks. And you don't have to do this with everybody that sends you an engagement gift that you weren't thinking of. It's just it is, you know, like you said, you love them and and they are and they sent a really super special gift. So there is an obligation here to send them a thank you note, please. Oh, yes. No matter what, you have to do that. (laughs) Good luck to you. And congratulations. Our next question asks, my etiquette question is something I've been dealing with my entire life. Now that I'm in my late 20s, I think it's high time I figure out a solution. 
My name is Juliana, like Montana. For my entire life, about 90% of the people I encounter mispronounce my name as Juliana, like sauna, almost immediately after I introduce myself. Teachers, coworkers, and even longtime friends make this mistake. I find it extremely difficult, especially with coworkers I've known for years, to correct people on this point. I feel too timid to correct people I've only just met. Doesn't it seem rude to quickly correct someone you've just met about pronunciation? And embarrassed to correct people I've known for a long time. I have a number of close friends who I've let mispronounce my name for years. I would greatly appreciate any tips or tricks you have for correcting pronunciation without coming off poorly. This has bothered me for years, and I'd love to figure out a new way to tackle this issue. Thank you, and happy holidays. Oh, this is such a tough one. It is your name. This is like, I mean, I get mad when people spell my name with a Y. Like, and for all of those listeners who have spelled my name with a Y, there's no way you could have known. I mean, a lot of the times you just hear it and then you look us up and that's it. It's not like, don't worry. But I really do. Lizzie's with Y's are different from Lizzie's with I's. Mm-hmm. It's just different world. Juliana <laughs> is different than Juliana. Juliana. I have a friend who is Marisa, not Marissa. And so it's it's your name and you should get called, you know, you're, you, you should Get your name right. You you should be able to hear it and feel confident that people are saying it correctly. If anything, just so that you know they're talking to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you've let this go on for a really long time. And I do have some thoughts on that for you. Um, and I hope you like them. <laughs> because <laughs> it's going to take a little bit of confrontation, but you're going to yeah. get your name said right, which yep. is going to be awesome. Um, you You absolutely should correct people. And you should correct people as soon as possible. Because you're worried about correcting someone you've just met. Guess what? They're going to be super embarrassed if they've been pronouncing your name incorrectly for a long time or mm-hmm. from right off the bat. I know that um, – do you ever get this? People call you Emily? <laughs> no? You don't get Less. this? Okay, being a female in this in this business, I get called Emily a lot. And huh. it is important to me to correct it because I'm not Emily. I'm yep. Lizzie and I would like to be Lizzie. Um, so t- take heart and just have the confidence to say, oh, I – you know, actually, it's pronounced Juliana. Um, and you can even say like Montana or something like that uh, to give someone that little reminder, because it does for some people, it is just hard and they forget and they don't mean to mispronounce your name. They just do. They grew up with Juliana's. <laughs> exactly. Um, for friends and colleagues, you know, who for a long time have been calling you the wrong thing, it's totally fine to correct them, too. And just say, you know, I know I should have said something a long time ago and I didn't, but my name's actually pronounced Juliana. And that is totally fine. And and it's it's okay for you to kind of get on a kick of correcting the people around you for a little bit so that yeah. you get your name said right. I think it's a question of tone as much as even 100%. what you say. If, yeah. if you say it the way Lizzie just said it, you're going to be in fine shape. If you are able to keep an edge out of your voice, if you are feeling um, – Uh, A little peeved about this. Maybe that's not the perfect moment to mention it. But when you've got a light heart, go ahead and say something. And and that's going to make it easy for other people to hear that advice and take it well. Totally. I've also had friends of friends do this, which is um, so I have a friend, uh, Gillian. And her name is spelled G-I-L-L-I-A-N. And Jillian? often people 
think it's Jillian, and even I wind up calling her Jill sometimes. And I remember we were out to lunch with another girlfriend of ours, and uh, this girlfriend I slipped and I called Gil Jill, and she she was the one that corrected me as opposed to Gil being the one to correct me. And sometimes that's really really nice. So I hope ally. some of your friends are listening, and that when they're introducing you to people and the person pronounces it wrong, they're the one to step in and say Juliana. Um, so Juliana, we hope that that helps, and we hope that you have the confidence and a few options to be able to uh, correct this and live in your 30s, which are, you said your late 20s, so they're coming up soon, um, being called the right name. So we want to tackle our next question before the holidays get too far into the rearview mirror. This is a question about holiday parties. <clears throat> it begins, thank you for your show and considering my question. A friend of mine recently had a holiday party. Her parties are wonderful events with a lot of thought and preparation. She sends out email invites and requires an RSVP. This isn't to say that guests aren't allowed to bring a plus one. However, after her party this year, she recounted the most awkward situation that happened during her party. And I said this would be a great one to submit to you guys. I hope you don't mind that I'm submitting on behalf of someone else. So during the party, a person contacted her on Facebook asking if he could join her party. It was already around 10 p.m. This person had come to her party with a guest two years ago, had friended her on Facebook, but they have not spoken or seen each other since. She didn't know how he even knew about the party because it's not like it was on Facebook, but she also felt it would be rude not to respond. Her friends suggested that she tell him they were running low on bourbon and ice so he could come if he showed up with those things. He showed up with only bourbon. How should she have handled this? I thought she could have ignored the Facebook request mid-party because she could have not even been on Facebook. But maybe that's less acceptable with Messenger. Thanks again, Katie. So part of what Katie's friend is dealing with is, A, the fact that Facebook tells you when you've seen a message. Mm-hmm. So if she clicks on it, she she then <laughs> has shown that she's seen it. And, 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 you know, he can tell that she's just plain ignoring it. Welcome to the brave new so, world. Brave new world. <laughs> Lesson A, definitely don't check your messages if you don't want to have to deal with anything like this. All right. um, Lesson B is I'm – okay, so two wrongs don't make a right. Um, I don't I don't think what he did was totally appropriate. I don't think it's totally off the wall. Only – okay, from an etiquette standpoint – Yes, he's inviting himself to a party he wasn't invited to. Mm -hmm. It is a party he has attended in years past, but it sounds like he was the guest of a guest. He was the plus one. Okay, good. Must have been a good party if two years later he's still still remembering it. it. (laughs) Now, uh, people go through all kinds of different things, and you know, maybe he's having a hard time. Maybe he, you know, wants to be around people. Maybe he needs to start getting out more. So he's trying to put himself out there. Say, hey. That was a good party. I'll go to that. Like, I would love to go to that again. And um, I, I kind of, in, in some ways, give him a little bit of credit for, for reaching out and such. But I also don't want to say that that's actually okay. It's not okay to just invite yourself to someone's party, especially at 10 p.m. when the party's probably pretty kicking. So on the one hand, there's the, there's the part of me that says you are inviting yourself way late in the game. Mm-hmm. And the other part of me says... Well, you're inviting yourself way late in the game. Maybe if it's this kind of big everyone comes and goes kind of party, maybe it's not such a big deal to accommodate an extra guest. Mm -hmm. Um, So as a host, if I was in this situation, that's kind of where my brain would start going like, okay, well, you know, it is like a big party. And I don't love the fact that her friend suggested that she ask him to bring bourbon and ice. 
It's not a bad idea, all right? It's not a bad idea. <laughs> it probably I kind seemed of, brilliant in the moment. I kind of get <laughs> yeah. where you're coming from on it. Um, but I also think that it's like, you can come only if you bring these things. I really hope that's not how she worded it. And because mm-hmm. we don't have the message, we really don't know. So I don't want to just assume. Yep. But I'm hoping that was done tactfully. How should she have handled this? You know, this really depends on her own comfort level as a host. Are you the kind of host that says, the more the merrier, sure, just come along? Then it's fine. Is one more person really going to, you know, break your party? You didn't get ice, but you got some bourbon. Yeah, you know. (laughs) um, I think if this were to happen to you again, A, I would be really cautious about actually checking my Facebook messages during a party. Um, B, I would ask myself... You know, what would be the problem with him showing up? Probably not a whole lot. It's probably, you know, if this was a sit down 12 person, you know, seven course dinner. Yes, you can say, I'm really sorry, but not tonight. Um, But if this is a pretty casual, easy to accommodate one more extra guest party, more the merrier. Sounds good to me. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't have many thoughts on that, did we, Dan? (laughs) No, I mean, I think that that, that does pretty much cover it. I mean, it's not like they they were um, on the hook for a dish that was an important part of a meal that they failed to bring or something like that. This was a little, come on over, bring a little something. And the person brought a little something. Yeah, Yeah. definitely an awkward situation. Um, You do have a couple solutions for the future. Um, In the end of the day, it is truly up to you as the host whether or not you want to say yes or you want to ignore it. Um, and you know, even I'm even thinking of that Facebook message being seen, you can tap on one and not actually read the darn thing. So you even have an excuse there. And and I'm going to say you're not necessarily obligated to respond oh, to that no, late a message, definitely someone not inviting themselves to, to your party. To so no. at the, really the heart of the etiquette advice there is it's really up to you. Having said that this person's welcome to come over, you probably want to receive them graciously. Exactly. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? Thanks again to everyone for sending in your questions and getting us started off in 2015 on the right foot. You can submit your next question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also send them in via Facebook and Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want it on the show. So each week we like to give you a little bit of an alternative segment. In fact, that's just what we call it. We've never come up with a great name for this segment. <laughs> um, Dan, what have we got this week? Well, sometimes in, in Lizzie's and my editorial meetings, we'll call this the, the etiquette history segment. So today I want to start 2015 with one of my favorite little pieces of personal etiquette history. And it's another story from the life of Emily Post. We finished off um, not, not the year. Yeah, we finished off last year with a little story about Emily's father and it got me thinking about her as such a remarkable personality and there's another life event of Emily's that is really worth worth sharing with our audience our dedicated etiquette fans and that was that Emily Post was a divorcee Emily Post was a a single working mother who wrote to support herself and this fact surprises a lot of people that know that Emily Post was uh, working and writing in the 1920s she wrote her first book of etiquette in 1922 I'm sorry, Please, I don't mean yeah. to interrupt, but it surprises people because they think of her as just a very wealthy socialite. So the surprise is actually that she was a writer and a single mother and that she had been divorced in like 1910. It was so uncommon yeah. at the time for a woman in her situation to be divorced or to get divorced. It just wasn't. This was many, many years before California divorce law. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, 
It was the result of a, a, a scandalous affair, and, and that's the particular story that I wanted to share today. Um, Emily was married to Edwin Post, and he was a, a, a young man who was very dashing. Emily was married young. She came out at 19 and uh, chose the, the, the most handsome available husband at the time, or they chose each other. Just to be clear for some of our listeners who might not know, coming out used to be when you were presented to society so that you were eligible as a young woman to literally be married. To be courted. To be courted and (laughs) married, that it is now okay, you are being presented to society. Um, and that that term since most, you know, has, has taken on a, a different connotation. Yeah. It usually means that you are out and proud to be a part of the gay, mm-hmm. lesbian, bisexual or transgender uh, community. However, back in Emily's day, it was a little bit different. Good, good point of distinction for a contemporary <laughs> audience. Um, <laughs> just, just clarify. So Emily was uh, w- was married young and dutifully played the role of a wife for about 10 years. Um Two kids. Uh, two kids. Uh, kept a events. Kept a home, social events. Uh, her husband was a stockbroker and had some success in the market, but like many people who gambled on the market, his fortunes would rise and fall. Um, like other uh, men of his time, he also had a, a side <laughs> – Oh, he was a philanderer. He was Just a philanderer. He had a he mistress a that he kept in an apartment downtown, and he got caught Actresses. by a tabloid. <laughs> well, and she was an actress, which, giant irony, this is exactly what Emily wanted to be her whole life and was told that she couldn't be. Wouldn't be appropriate and for her And here her, her husband do. is cheating on her with an actress. While she's at home, dutifully taking care of the kids in the home, right. um, which as we learned by what a uh, what incredible woman she became later in life, probably wasn't the most fulfilling and satisfying thing. Not for at her all. At that she time had things to life. say. <laughs> um, so her husband gets caught in an affair by a tabloid, and there was a a form of of um, extortion that used to go on at the time. You would have to buy subscriptions to the tabloid. It was it was actually a newspaper. And the newspaper had a section that was called like the town teller or something like well, that. Well, tattletales. Something like ever that. Ever been called a tattletale? This was that type of a, a gossip column or right. gossip rag. And they would approach an yeah. industrialist and say, you know, our, our circulation's a little low. We really could could use maybe 500 subscriptions to 10, be sold. 10,000 try or like 1,000. Yeah. It, no, it was a if, lot of it, money that they were charging her. If you could buy subscriptions to our magazine, we wouldn't need to post this salacious story that's clearly going to sell that's going to sell newspapers. And it, guess what? It's a salacious story about you. <laughs> so Mr. Post at the time uh, was perhaps experiencing a low ebb in his fortunes on the market and couldn't afford to pay the bribe. Some people think it might have been a principled stand. Some people think it might have had to do with the fact that he simply couldn't afford it at the time. So he was forced to tell his wife, Emily, about the affair. They decided that they couldn't or wouldn't pay the bribe. They told the police and a sting went down. Police hid in a closet. Money changed hands. Arrests were made. And this scandal hit the front pages of the papers with some force and climbed through the ranks of New York society. People who were much more powerful and influential than the posts were impacted and affected. And when it was all done, Emily asked for a divorce. And Yeah, she told him in the beginning that I will do this with you, but we're getting a divorce at the end of it. So... There was Emily with two kids and several properties. We learned that her father was an architect on the last podcast, and so she had properties, but she didn't have a steady income. Right. And she'd wrote, uh, she'd written her first romance novel the year before, and she continued to write romance novels for some time, and that was really how she supported herself. She did some other types of work, but she was really someone who was 
who was working hard to figure out a way f- to survive in the world. And it was when she was uh, doing that particular work that she was approached to write her first book of etiquette. And, and we will continue with that story on another <laughs> on episode, episode of Awesome <laughs> Etiquette. <laughs> um, I want to close out the alt segment by inviting yeah. you to read the official biography of so Emily good. Post, written by Laura Claridge. It really is remarkable. It came out now four or five years ago, and yeah. we were so excited that someone outside the family really did the exhaustive work of researching Emily's life and putting together a, a really authoritative telling of that story. So for those of you that are really interested in this story and want to learn more, I I couldn't recommend highly enough Laura Claridge's biography of Emily Post. Social courtesy does pay, doesn't it? Thanks. Each week, we like to end our show on a positive note with an awesome etiquette salute to someone who is out there making the world a nicer place. And this week's salute comes from David Boyles. And he writes, Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I'm a big fan of the podcast and just wanted to pass along this nomination for your weekly good etiquette salute. My town's Facebook page posted the letter below in which a town resident expresses gratitude to two sanitation workers for helping her. And I thought the sanitation workers and the letter writer all deserve a salute. I don't know any of the people involved, but I thought it was a great example of good etiquette all around. Thanks, David Boyles. So this is what David had found. Um, It was a woman named Mitzi Smith who wrote to the town of Temple Terrace, and she writes, Dear City of Temple Terrace, I wanted to take a moment and send a quick email indicating how much I appreciate two gentlemen that work for the City of Temple Terrace. Eric Williams and Mark Coleman are absolutely fabulous and true gentlemen. On Wednesday, my cousin and I were cleaning off my front porch, and I had three large bookshelves I was struggling to move to the street. Mark and Eric stopped what they were doing and jumped to my rescue by moving these for me, completely unprompted. I had been having a very tough week due to my grandmother's passing. I mentioned this to explain how heartened I was by their help. Helping me move some bookshelves may seem like a small task, but that one small kindness lifted my spirits when I needed to be reminded that the world is not as dismal as I had been seeing it. There are people who care. Kindness begets kindness, and I will make certain to pay it forward. Thank you, Mitzi Smith. I love it. I love a salute for a salute. And I tell you, these are the kind of people that I really hope to run into during my day. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a wonderful week as always, and we hope that you are enjoying a very lovely start to 2015. Remember that we love to hear from you. So send us your questions, your etiquette salutes, and your suggestions to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. If you like what you hear, you can always subscribe on iTunes. And if you dig us, we would love it if you'd write a review. Um, we want to connect with you any way that we can. So please, um, you know, we invite you to participate. You can find us on Facebook. We're the Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, I am at Lizzie A. Post. And I'm Daniel underscore post or you can visit our website emilypost.com and our theme music was and still is composed by bob wagner